Where are we? We are blazing through Matthew chapter 3. We are, if you haven't been here, walking through the book of Matthew. And we will be doing it as long as it takes us. Or until Jesus comes back or until um, I'm fired. One of, the, one, one of those things is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back, they get rid of me, or we get through the book of Matthew sometime in the near future before the year 2011. Um, we're taking our time with it. Uh, Working through it. And where we are today is Matthew chapter 3, the second part of chapter 3. Previously in Matthew, Jesus was born. Jesus went away. Jesus came back. And then we lose sight of Jesus for a while, for about 30 years or so. And then we get to find and introduce ourselves to this guy, JTB, as I like to call him, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as we talked about last week, was this crazy for God dude that lived out in the wilderness. He was a hairy man, um, like very hairy, and it had to do with his beliefs in God and his practices. He wore camel hair clothing, um, not the type that you would expect to see on somebody today. Um, He ate uh, just what was there in the wilderness, and he was a prophet. He was proclaiming the word of God. He was preparing the way for the arrival of Jesus. And so he set up his ministry out in the wilderness at the Jordan River. And basically his whole, his whole premise was, his whole, not premise, his whole ministry, was to get people ready for God. Was to baptize them, to have them ask for forgiveness for their sins, to, to find repentance, and to prepare a path so that God would come into that person's life. He wasn't God. He was quite clear about that. He wasn't the Messiah. He was also very clear about that. He was pointing the way to the Messiah. And so we get to chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize with water those who turn from their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is far greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave, or some translations say tie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the grain with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, storing the grain in his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John didn't want to baptize him. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it must be done because we must do everything that is right. So then John baptized him. After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, and I am fully pleased with him. Enter Jesus the Messiah. So here's the thing. You have John the Baptist who is, okay, John and Jesus were cousins. They were born right around the same time, right around the same area. They would have probably known one another a little bit growing up. Now, their families may have gone different directions. John obviously took his religion to a different level than most people, moving out into the wilderness. So we don't know when he did that, but he knew Jesus. 
Now, we don't know if when growing up, he would be, he'd be the guy. He's like, okay, I'm the guy preparing the way. That's the guy. We don't know if he saw Jesus as a child in that respect. We have nothing that tells us one way or the other. What we do know is when Jesus came, he knew. When Jesus came to be baptized, John immediately knew who it was that was coming from the wilderness. What I love about this and what I love about John is John is so passionate for God. He's so passionate. He's out there and he's just, if you remember right before he talks about the one who is coming to baptize, he's yelling at the religious leaders of the day, calling them a brood of vipers, you snakes. You say one thing but do another. Do you think God can't chop you down just because you're the chosen people? He'll choose somebody else. You must really, I mean, he was passionate about his belief in God. So right before that, he's saying this, and then he rolls into this fiery, you know, it's not me that you really need to be baptized from. It's someone else. And it came to me at the first service that he's really kind of like, um, I can't think of the guy's name now, but the dude from WWE. Yeah, the wrestling stuff, like the, the worldwide, I don't know what they call it these days, entertainment. <laughs> uh, and he's like one of those wrestler guys. And, and John the Baptist is, I mean, is awesome. He's, I baptize you with water, those who turn from their sins. But someone is coming soon, much greater, who's going to separate the chaff and the wheat. And the chaff is going to burn in an unending flame of fire. You know, can't you see John just getting crazy like that? I mean, he was kind of crazy already. And then people go out there, you're going to burn if you don't turn to Jesus. And he just goes nuts. And he's just like preparing the way for the coming of the king. And really what John is setting everyone up for is the arrival of Jesus. And you might be wondering why Jeff is here. Here's where Jeff comes in. Because I picture if John the Baptist had, like, supporting musicians around him, granted they would have had a lyre or whatever, or they wouldn't have had an electric keyboard. But I picture it something like this. John the Baptist is standing out of the wilderness, and he's preparing everyone for the arrival of Jesus. And then he knows that Jesus is about to appear from the wilderness, and he says, Here's Jesus! coming out like Rah! I mean because that's what John was expecting that's what the entire nation of Israel was expecting was this conquering hero this militaristic power that would come through and wipe clean the Roman Empire who had been oppressing them they were waiting for this warrior to come forward and yet here's John the Baptist and he gets ready he's like here's Jesus It's so soft you can barely hear the music. Because that's what happened. They're expecting this amazingly powerful military leader. And John's like, oh man, he's going to come and he's going to separate the good from the bad and you're going to burn in this unending fire. Here he comes now. Hey, I'm Jesus. You're, you're the guy we've been waiting for? Because we were picturing somebody a little bit, you know, I don't know, bigger. Someone a little bit more powerful. To really make an entrance. 
But really what happens here is the, the forecasting of what the ministry and life of Jesus is going to be like. While the world expected this militaristic leader to come forward and to start slashing people and taking names, what they got was this peaceful, loving man. But John immediately recognizes that it is him, and he says, Whoa, I can't baptize you. I need to be baptized. Now that opens up the question, why is Jesus going to John to be baptized? Because the baptism practice there was, you know, the, the remission of sin. You're asking for forgiveness for your sins. You're clean by God. The Holy Spirit fills you and anoints you as a child of God. Okay, Jesus is God. Jesus hasn't committed a sin. Why does he need to be baptized? It's an interesting turn of events that was going on during this time in the history of Israel. The Jews had always had the practice of baptism. It had always been there, but it was for converts, for the Gentiles who decided that they needed to give their lives to this Jewish faith and they would become converts to the Jewish faith and and they would be baptized because while they were outside of the Jewish faith, they were outside of the love of God and they had been sinning and they would be, you know, the chaff that would be in this unending fire. So they needed to be baptized. But around the time John the Baptist comes, there becomes this big movement in the Jewish faith that says, you know what? Just because we're the chosen people doesn't mean we can't fall short of God's glory. Just because we're the ones under the law doesn't mean we can't break the law. Maybe we do need to repent. Maybe we do need to be baptized. So there was this big movement, which is why John's prophetic voice was so loudly heard. Because people were like, you're right, I do need to repent. Even though I've been living under the law... I need to come and get God's forgiveness and just be washed clean. And so these floods of people were coming, and it was so apparently a big deal since the religious leaders came to see what was going on as well. Now, there's a gospel that is not included in the, in the canon. It's called, there's a few gospels actually, but one of them is called the Gospel of Hebrews. And in the Gospel of Hebrews, there is a story uh, of Mary and, and Jesus and the brothers, uh, Jesus' brothers, and they're talking about this John the Baptist character and the baptism that's going on down there. And, and Mary's like, hey, we need to go down to the Jordan and get baptized. And the brothers are like, yeah, let's go. And Jesus is like, why do I need to go get baptized? I haven't done anything wrong. And can't you just, I mean, talk about sibling rivalry. Wouldn't you hate to be his brother? Oh, whatever, perfect Jesus. Son of God, blah, blah, blah. Um, so <laughs> they needed lots of counseling, I'm sure. So uh, there's there's that story in there that his family took him to be baptized. But I don't think that that is necessarily the case. I think that there's another reason why Jesus showed up at the Jordan. I think what was going on here is the Messiah enters into the way that he is going to do his ministry. He comes and he's very peaceful and he's humble and he submits himself to be baptized by John. In other words, what was going on is he, was, he wasn't identifying himself with the God who would judge all people. Instead, he was identifying himself with the people who were being judged by God. He was putting himself in our place. He was saying, I am one of you. I will experience what you experience. I will suffer. I will be tempted. I will see all of these things in life that you will see. I am one of you. 
yet he was more. And so in this moment of baptism, it was Jesus coming and submitting to John to be baptized. He was becoming a part of us. And then as he comes out of the water, you have the first experience of the Holy Trinity together. The Trinity being the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Son coming out of the water. The Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And the voice of God saying, this is my Son. The Jews who were there listening would have known that that is from the book of Psalms, chapter 2, verse 7. It is one of the the little signposts that this is the Messiah. This is the guy you're looking for when God says, this is my son. So they would have immediately gone, oh. And then he follows it up with whom I am well pleased. Isaiah 42, 1 is the beginning of the suffering servant. This whole section that Isaiah is laying forth, this is what the Savior is going to be like. If you are looking for the Messiah, here is the form that he will take. He will be a suffering servant. Servant, And so with those words of God and the fact that the dove was the form that the Holy Spirit took, you can see the rest of the story. That Jesus is indeed coming as a conqueror. He is indeed coming to conquer sin and death and any principality that would stand before him will be destroyed. But how will he do it? As a suffering servant. How will he wage war on the world? Through peace and love. I mean, John the Baptist, this fiery guy, is expecting this big military leader. In fact, they all were expecting this big military military leader. And Jesus goes, surprise, it's me. In fact, really, if you look at his entire ministry, he was constantly doing things that were surprising His disciples were always going, did you see what just happened? Did you see how he acted in a way that we didn't think he would have acted or a way that no one we've ever seen has acted before? Jesus, why were you sitting in the middle of the day at a well talking to a Samaritan woman of all people? Because I was thirsty and I had water to give her. Jesus, why did you go into that guy's house? I mean, nobody goes into people like that's houses. Exactly. Because they're the people I came for. He constantly was doing things and acting in a way that was so different from the world. And that's because it was the way of God. From this story, we can learn to be surprised by God. Surprised by Christ and the things that he does in our life. From the story, we can see how his ministry went and and, and maybe if we were trying to live our, our lives to follow that of our Messiah, maybe we should read the story a little more closely. I'm a Paul guy. I, I like Paul. If you go through the Bible and you talk about, you know, who's your favorite character of the Bible? Of course, everybody goes, Jesus, you know, because that's the Sunday school answer. Because, um, like, you think you're going to be burning the unending fire if you don't say Jesus. Um, but I always, I like, I like Paul. I mean, Paul's my guy. Granted, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, so there's a lot to learn about him and read about him. But I like the fact that he was very fiery and passionate about whatever he did. He was all in, regardless of which side he was on. If you remember before he had his um, come-to-Jesus moment, literally, 
he, uh, he was all in against Christians. He was persecuting them. He was at the death of Stephen. He, he was one of those guys who, who the Jewish people sent out, the Pharisees sent out to take care of business and to knock heads so that people believed what they should believe. And he was all about it, passionate, because he felt like God was telling him to do that. And then Jesus meets him and like, dude, what's, what's the deal with persecuting me? Um, and Paul's like, well, sorry. Um, and he you know, changes sides, and he's all in for Jesus. And the guy was just nuts for Christ. Went all around the world spreading the gospel message. He carried it across seas. He was in shipwrecks. He was in prisons. He was stoned. Nothing stopped him, prevented him from sharing the gospel message. There's a story in Acts that recounts when Paul was in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a huge city. It was an amazing city um, that had this enormous theater. The god of Artemis was a pretty big deal in Ephesus, and most things were dedicated to this god of Artemis. And so there would be little bobblehead Artemis dolls and little statues and figurines and air fresheners with Artemis's picture on it. It was a big moneymaker, this god of Artemis. And, and Paul was teaching that you shall have no other god but me. Do not bow down to false idols. All of these things, and he's rocking the boat. And people got upset because he was hitting them where it hurts. And, and so they gather in this in the stadium that I, I've sat in, and it's just an, it's a surreal moment to sit there and to, to hear the echo of the voice of the people of Ephesus screaming, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis! And they are ticked at Paul. And Paul's on the outside of the stadium, and he's like, Let me in there and just talk to all I need five minutes. Five minutes with this 20,000 people who want to rip my head off, and I can convince them of the love of God. Dude was not afraid to go in there. His disciples, thankfully, pulled him away and said, snap out of it. <laughs> Let's go. But he was on fire for it, and he wasn't afraid to barrel in. And so I always look at Paul, and I'm like, yeah, bring the Jesus. Woo! And sometimes I have to realize that that's not what Jesus did. That Jesus didn't come barreling in places. Jesus just was. And he loved. And if somebody crushed him, he said, that's all right. He was the guy that said, turn the other cheek. He was the guy that said, if they take this, then give them that also. Wow, that's so contrary to what the world tells us and how we should live our lives. That's so contrary to how my own thinking goes. I've been in this battle over a, uh, over a hospital and the bill, and the bill is $30. Yeah, $30. And it's been months and months. I don't know if you know anything about insurance companies. You might work for an insurance company, and God love you for it. I don't think they really talk to each other is the problem. And so we've been sent to a collection agency over $30, twice now. And months and months and months, I have called the hospital, spoken to the same people. I'm like, Charlie, it's you again. Awesome. How are you doing? How are things up there? Great. Hey, remember the $30 that you sent to a collection agency for me? Remember how that was already paid? And I just get so angry. And, and I just want to unload on Charlie, whom I've never seen. I'm sure he's a lovely man, has probably problems of his own. And who has absolutely nothing to do with it. 
But I just want to barrel in there. I'm like, I am right and justified. Bam! You can't do this. Really? It's times like that when I hesitate to tell people what I do for a living. And in those moments, you laugh. But in those moments where I hesitate to tell people what I do for a living, I know I am in the wrong. I know that I am not living my life the way that my rabbi wants me to. If I'm ashamed to tell somebody that I work for Jesus, then there's something wrong with me. And I'm not on the right path, as John talks about. It's the same thing with just being a believer in Jesus Christ. If you think God would be ashamed for how you're acting in a situation, guess what? You're probably not acting in the right way. You're probably acting more like the world is telling you to act than like this peaceful, suffering servant. Now, that doesn't mean you're a doormat. And we'll talk about righteous anger a little deeper in Matthew. But imagine, if you will, what your theme song is when you enter a room. Just go through your mind. Go through your Rolodex of iTunes songs or whatever you do, your, little iP- your mental iPod. What's your theme song when you walk into a room? I'll explain what that is later. What is it that when you walk into a room, you know what I'm saying? In other words, what is it that you, what is your, what's the vibe? I can't, I don't want to use that word because that's weird, but But what is your persona? Are you that grandiose organ player when, here comes Michael! Or is it, here's Michael. Look at how Jesus entered the world and entered his ministry and entered saving the world. And think about how you live your life. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of freedom that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would fill us all with the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may be able to live our lives the way that you desire us to live our life, and not the way that the world tells us. God, we ask for forgiveness for those moments when we have decided that we know better and we ask that you would help us to once again see that path that you have laid before us and to fill it with your love and your grace in the name of jesus christ amen